Welcome to Politics Done Differently, a no-frills political podcast for the everyday voter, aiming to engage Australians in the political agenda. Hosted by Katarina Sullivan, businesswoman, award-winning sustainability expert, and political junkie. This episode of Politics Done Differently is brought to you by Strategic Sustainability Consultants, an Australian-based consultancy working with businesses, governments, and not-for-profits to assist them in becoming economically, socially, and environmentally sustainable. Welcome to another episode of Politics Done Differently. We're back in Parliament House, which is our favourite spot for the podcast. And we have a West Australian MP with us, Mr Matt Keogh, the member for Burt. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. And you're also a member of the Labour Party. I'm a member of the Labour Party and I'm a front bencher, shadow portfolios of defence industry, WA resources and assisting on small and family business. Oh, fantastic. WA Resources, mm. there's a particular portfolio for that. Yes. Can you tell us a bit more about that for people that aren't from Western Absolutely. Australia? Absolutely. Yes. So for people who are in Western Australia, this won't come as a shock mm-hmm. at all. But uh, the West Australian Resources sector does uh, take up over 50% of the resources sector nationally. So mm-hmm. it's a very large component. Mm-hmm. And it's quite different from the resources sector on the East Coast, which is predominantly... Uh, made up of uh, thermal and metallurgical coal. Mm -hmm. The West Australian resources industry, as anyone in WA knows, is predominantly iron ore based. um, And it has also now got a growing uh, rare earths and critical minerals base as well. And of course, the other big chunk of our resources industry is offshore oil and gas. And critical to that is that our offshore oil and gas industry is one that's been developed off the back of export. Mm but one that is also required to comply with the domestic gas reservation system, so the which is something that doesn't apply with the oil and gas industry yeah. on the East Coast either. So they're quite different regimes that operate. Uh, the, the mix of the resources is different, uh, and so it was important to recognise that in the uh, distribution and creation of portfolios uh, after the last election. And so Western Australian Resources has its own portfolio, but of course I work very closely with our uh, shadow Minister for Resources, Joel Fitzgibbon. Yeah, and you are also Shadow Minister for Small and Family Business. Yes. Um, what's your work like helping advocate for that? Yeah, so I suppose a bit of background for me in that is that I came out of, uh, before coming into Parliament, I was a lawyer and I started work in a very small legal practice in the outer suburbs, so I had a familiarity of working in small business, mm-hmm. but also uh, ended up being President of the Law Society, which represents lawyers in the legal profession in Western Australia and to that extent part of the role of the Law Society is advocating for many legal small businesses and it's a peak body like any other industry peak body in that sense and so I had a background with small and family business coming from uh, that but what I've been doing since the election and taking on this portfolio working closely with Brendan O'Connor who's the other shadow minister in this area is we've been doing a listening tour around the country getting out speaking to as many small businesses as possible in different forums. Uh, we've been to Melbourne, I've done a separate one in Melbourne as well, been up to Darwin, uh, we've been uh, up to the New South Wales Central Coast, mm-hmm. uh, down to Tasmania to meet with the Small Business Council down there. Uh, I had a forum in my own electorate of Burt as well. Uh, and we'll be continuing to do that because I think one of the things about small business as a sector, mm-hmm. which is a pretty 
I use that term loosely, is that it covers so many different areas. Uh, and I see that in the resources space, which I cover. I see that in the defence industry space, which I cover. And I see that just across the whole gamut of the meetings we've already been having. So trying to just really get an understanding of where small businesses' head is at in terms of the pressures they are facing and not necessarily governmental, mm -hmm. but that also gives us an idea of things where government could help and not just focused on federal government either, looking at, okay, where are the work of local government or state government or other regulators inhibiting the capacity for small business to, they may not want to grow, but to thrive. Yeah. yeah. And you're talking about doing a tour around Australia yeah. to do this. You're in Canberra 20 weeks of the year. Yeah. And then traveling more on top of it That's your right. shadow portfolios. Yep. How do you juggle that? Well, the travel from my, from my end... Mm -hmm isn't too difficult in yeah. that I just, you know, you step on the plane, it takes you. And when you're from Perth, you're used to traveling, yeah. but it is much more taxing on my family at home. Mm -hmm. I've got a small child, it's three years old. Uh, my wife works full time as well. So it is a balance of trying to work out what is the most efficient way of fitting in visits around the country, uh, together with the parliamentary sittings as well, so that you're not having to spend uh, additional time in that process of traveling. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you do get very efficient at the way that you use uh, your time because there's a lot to do back home, not only with my family, but also in the community as your local MP, mm -hmm. uh, you know, making sure that you're engaging with your local schools and with your community groups and sporting organisations and the local governments and all of those things and meeting with constituents and helping them with various issues though, with federal government agencies. So there's a lot, time is consumed <laughs> rapidly. Uh, but it is something we've got to, we do a lot of sort of forward planning around to try and maximise how we do that. Yeah. And how do you choose which groups you engage with, um, whether it's in your community or with your shadow portfolios? Because mm -hmm. obviously you can't say yes to everything. No. Um, how do you sort of, you know, choose what you do say yes to? Yeah. So I suppose uh, looking at the portfolio space, there's, in every portfolio, there's, uh, sort of obvious key stakeholders that you need to keep engaged with are the sort of uh, peak organisations or major organisations within that area. Uh, and when I be became a shadow minister, that was the f sort of first thing I did was go around uh, the country and, and, ha and also have meetings in Canberra with those uh, key peak organisations and representatives across the defence industry sector and the resources sector. I think fortunately for me, as a Western Australian, as someone who used to, uh, as a lawyer, have a lot of resources companies as clients. Mm -hmm. um, I was not unfamiliar with a lot of those uh, organisations and companies that I had to engage with anyway, so we already had an existing relationship. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of been the first point. I suppose the other thing is, at a more general level, in terms of how do I allocate my time uh, in policy discussion points, I find having a lot of discussions with people that I already agree with not necessarily that productive. Yeah. Um, I'd much rather have the engagement with people that I, I think that I may have a disagreement with or that I want to be convinced by um, so that I can kick the tyres of ideas, maybe have my mind changed, mm -hmm. um, better understand the issues that are going on, yeah. um, you know, learn things that I don't already know as opposed to just spending time with people that I already agree with. Mm -hmm. um, and then with, with the community, obviously, you've got people trying to get your time and somewhat you can be somewhat reactive to that, trying to fit them into your diary and, and make sure that you're able to spend time that way, but also do need to be proactive in terms of, you know, I've got an electorate that's about 15 Ks by 15 Ks. And so uh, you want to make sure you're trying to get out and meet with and share time with the community across the board, not just in one part of 
the electorate and also making yourself available more proactively, sort of thinking about different areas of the community. Obviously, there's local government, that there's schools and there's sporting organisations and there's community organisations. So there's a whole range of different things you want to make sure you're ticking off on yeah. so that you're getting a good spread of uh, what you're doing. And one of the ways I try to make myself accessible in that mm-hmm. way are my uh, mobile offices, which I call yeah. Coffee with Keo. We do them yeah. at local cafes and anyone can come along and bend my ear. And that's a really good way of getting to see a lot of people reasonably rapidly. Yes. So before we got interrupted by Division Bells, um, we were talking a little bit about how you engage with mobile offices. Oh, and yes. Um, your coffee with Keo. Mm. What are some of the issues that your constituents bring to you during those meetings? Look, it's really varied what constituents bring up. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do find is that people will bring issues to you that are not necessarily federal government issues either. But if I look at the sort of federal government issues that come up, often they relate to uh, difficulties with Centrelink, mm-hmm. uh, where someone's payments might have been stopped for some reason, or they haven't been able to get access to disability support pension, for example, or a carer's pension. Um, issues with uh, job active providers, so people that are on new start and not getting the assistance they require, or the understanding they need from job active providers. Uh, people that are looking for advice, assistance, or support in relation to immigration matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, NDIS uh, issues, people that where they're still waiting for a plan, people who didn't get the things including their plan they should have or have had funding cut from their plans, uh, issues with the ATO, a whole range of government department issues, and then people who just want to raise much more localised, I mean, broader issues, but local community issues around dangerous uh, road intersections, issues with public transport, problems with level crossings, uh, difficulties they might be having with the state government the um, education department, a uh, whole range of issues which you know, we can refer to the local state MPs for assistance with, or they might be even local government issues, and we can engage with the local government to get those issues resolved yeah. as well. So it is really very... Sometimes people want to come and pitch to you their policy ideas about getting more cars with LNG, for example, yeah. or LPG, sorry. Um, or, so a range of different things that people will bring forward. Uh, which is great because the more access, in my view, and this is my experience today, the more accessible you are, the more attuned you are to those issues that are bubbling, whether they're a federal government matter or not, um, whether it's something they need help with fixing or something that they think government should be doing, um, if you're not accessible to that, you are not, you're going to quickly lose touch when, as you point out, I'm easily away for 20 weeks of the year. Yeah. Oh, more. More, that's right. <laughs> um, and what are some of the big picture issues that people come to you about sort of the future of Australia yeah look it's, it's interesting most people don't come to you with a sort of fully formed big picture problem mm-hmm. uh, but they will come to you with issues that are sort of are national issues or concerns yeah. that they have so some people have particular concerns about migration some people have particular concerns around uh, religious freedom people have concerns around climate change people have concerns around uh funding and support for education, also how that money should be spent, what should be the priorities for our education system, problems within the health system, Mm -hmm. whether that's the way the state government runs something in particular, but also how Medicare operates across the board. Mm -hmm. Or it might be a particular policy area like support for people with diabetes and how the Medicare system is not quite delivering for those people. So they're sort of the broader issues that people will bring forward. Uh, to you and sometimes they just want to make sure you understand their view sometimes they want to engage with you in more of a a debate or a discussion around 
why you should agree with their particular view. Um, or, and, and often people will come and bring you materials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had uh, members of the local Uyghur community come and talk to me about the, obviously the issues that the Uyghur community in China are confronting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you do get the full gamut of broad issues. Yeah. What are some things that you do in the chamber to advocate for those issues? Yeah, so some of those things um, are best advocated in the chamber and some of those things are best advocated for another forum. So sometimes it's a case of approaching the local government directly or going to the state MP. Uh, sometimes it's about writing directly to a government department or to a minister and seeking some form of intervention. Sometimes it's around working with our own shadow ministers around how can we develop a policy response that's going to be better suited uh, to dealing with these issues if we were able to form government. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is literally about getting something raised on the public record. And so there's opportunities to speak on those in the parliament. And some of those are opportunities where an MP may have uh, be able to speak on any topic. And, and that's a great opportunity to raise issues of particularly local concern. Sure. But then you get those broader issues where there's particular legislation that is going through the House. And that does provide an opportunity to not just speak to the generality of the legislation or how it's going to apply in a national policy sense, but also to talk about the very particular localised examples of what's going on in your community or people that have come to you with concerns around a particular issue and highlight those examples of how that legislation might help or that the legislation is missing the point and not going to help these people and providing those very concrete examples of that uh, to remind government that when it's crafting its legislation, it can be doing a better job of that and making sure it actually delivers for the Australian people that need help. Yeah. And even though you're in opposition at mm. the moment, you'll still be able to get a lot achieved for Bert in mm. your time. What are some of the big plans that you've got that you can talk about, obviously, at the moment? Yeah, so I suppose one of the things I talk about a bit is uh, building a better Bert because mm-hmm. one of the things I think through uh, my political advocacy and working with the state MPs in my area as well, we've been able to, and the local governments, been able to put forward a very strong agenda around increasing the transport infrastructure uh, in the electorate of BERT. And uh, some of that has now, we've been successful in lobbying to get the federal government to fund some of those things. And so that includes things like the duplication of Armadale Road, mm-hmm. uh, the addition of a new Armadale Road bridge where it intersects with the freeway, the extension of the Thornley railway line so that we have a circle route that connects up to Coburn Central with two new stations in Canning Vale and the uh, replacement of the uh, level crossing in Kelmscott at Denny Avenue with a new um, grade separated uh, rail overpass road underpass. Um, all of those things are critical pieces of the pie of transport infrastructure in Perth's southeastern suburbs that mm-hmm. will make people's journeys not only faster but importantly safer and provide better connectivity for people uh, not only wanting to get from our communities to work but also from up some parts of our community to other parts so that they can get to work so uh, for example the Canningvale train stations not only do they support the people that live in Canning the suburbs of Canningvale being able to access whether it's get to the football on the, at the new stadium or to yep. get to work but it'll also enable people that live in other parts of the Burt community to get to the Canningvale industrial area for work. Uh, And that's really important, especially in a community uh, like Perth South Eastern Suburbs where we see um, very high youth unemployment and high unemployment rates. And one of the inhibitors there is if you don't have a car, you can't get to some of these workplaces, especially work in industrial areas. So being able to connect, provide better public transport connectivity is really important. 
I love when this happens, when both bells are going. So there's so many fantastic initiatives that you're working mm-hmm. on in Bert. How do you communicate those with the constituents? It's really important now to find many varying layers of method of communication with the electorate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the more traditional ones are obviously, you know, with the coffees with Keo that we do, we put advertising in the newspaper, we set up Facebook events. Yeah. Uh, but then you've got to be looking at so, okay, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, looking at uh, our own newsletters that we create that go out into every letterbox in the electorate putting ads in the newspaper, the local newspapers that we've got in the community. So they're sort of, I suppose, your layered approaches of finding different ways to engage with the community. People are looking at different methods and uh, I suppose gone is the day where everyone sits down and watches the six o'clock news. Not everyone reads the local paper. Uh, Not everyone, uh, definitely not everyone is on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also looking at different age ranges, use different groups. I mean, one of the discussions we've been pushing or discussing in the offices, you know, do you then look at like TikTok as a method of having political communication? I don't really know how effective it is. Like I think you probably just annoy more people on TikTok if you Mm -hmm. started putting political information in there. Uh, Dan Andrews takes a different view. The Premier of Victoria has a TikTok account. Um, And Annika Wells does too. She does as well. Uh, So you're constantly looking at different ways of, of, of communicating what you're doing and also getting feedback from the community uh, and trying to look at where people are moving to different platforms or different systems but they're the principal ones that we're yeah. using. Do you find a lot of young people are coming to Coffee with Keo? No. No. <laughs> to, be, to be brutal? No. Yeah. Um, they, they don't. Uh, I think a lot of young people are pretty disengaged. I think people generally mm-hmm. are pretty disenchanted and disengaged from politics. I think yeah. young people much more so they seem to be very interested in in single issues but don't have not seen the connection between their issue and politics yeah uh which is a great shame it's also one of the great challenges i guess for those of us involved in formal politics to find ways of engaging with those people i think obama put it very well about a month or so ago uh, talking about people who you know engage principally as keyboard warriors but are not actually engaging in the the grassroots uh, campaigning and engagement to change the way people vote principally because at the end of the day it's still government that does stuff yeah and we did see at the last election a record number of enrollments in the Australian Electoral Commission for young people voting um, which was exciting for me as someone who's passionate about politics Mm. and making sure that young people's voice is heard Um, how can we sort of bridge that gap that you were talking about, getting young people to see politicians as their voice in Canberra and actually getting them to engage with their politicians so the politicians can articulate their voice in Canberra? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really complicated issue. Yeah. Um, young people today are confronted in a, with a society that is very different to the one that their parents, and particularly their parents, grew up in. Yeah. You don't have... Uh, you know, unions don't represent as much of the workforce, but you also don't have communities where everyone joins the local footy slash cricket club. Yeah. You don't have people going to churches in the same way that, that in, in terms of a few big churches as opposed to lots of different little churches or no church at all. So what that means is you don't have community coming together, yeah. which means the opportunity for discussion and engagement with people who may disagree with you becomes less and less. And 
because of that, you don't see the systems of society, you don't get the civics of it, and we also have um, terrible teaching of civics in our schools. It's mm -hmm. just not taught. Um, and that is a big, big problem. It, mm -hmm. Civics doesn't really raise its head in the national curricula. Um, the state government in Western Australia did insert it into a, a, to a greater detail, mm -hmm. which is important. But what it means is you've got people that are coming through a school system without really understanding the political structure and systems and the importance of it, and you, they're growing up in a community that doesn't is quite atomised. Yeah. And so their principal form of engagement is in social media. And the thing about social media is it just continually reinforces the thing that you or, the view you already hold. Mm -hmm. It doesn't... The way those algorithms work mean that you are not being exposed to alternative views or engaging in that alternative discussion because you can basically go, well, that person disagrees with me, I'm just not going to engage with them. And that means that our skill set as a society and our willingness to engage with people who we may disagree with is reduced. Mm -hmm. And I think for young people, they're not even seeing... It's not even being modelled to them. Sure. Um, and so that is a that they are growing up in a very different society to that which, uh, you know, I sort of partly grew up in, but more the point my parents grew up in. Yeah. Same time, you know, my parents were the last set of generation in Australia that faced conscription. Mm -hmm. Every generation before them faced conscription. Your level of engagement in politics when the decision government makes will literally force you to go to war mm -hmm. is going to be very different to 21st century mm -hmm. Australia, which quite frankly... Is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, there are things government could be doing better and should be doing better. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, our standard of living, at least so far, is very good. Yeah. And so people, I think in a sense, mm -hmm. feel that they can afford to not be as engaged because it'll be okay. Yeah. Or even if I do complain or try to engage on these things, they won't get fixed. Mm -hmm. Which And it's that last part that we've really got to try. I think there's a responsibility of everyone involved in politics to try and turn around. Sure. You mentioned about civic education before mm. um and i'm not sure about your electorate but i know patrick gorman who's your colleague for, yes. um, member of perth he put in his newsletter that a disproportionate amount of um wa students aren't actually getting to come to canberra yeah because it's so far away and it's expensive yeah yep. um and for that year six camp and i know my nephew is in year six this year um in uh, east vic park and he hasn't been able to come to canberra Obviously, his auntie's very passionate about politics, yeah. and so she was very upset. Are you seeing the same trend in your electorate in Perth? Not the same trend because, proportionately, many less schools in my electorate ever get to come to Canberra or yep. travel outside of Western Australia. Yep. Patrick's got it pretty good, yep. so does Vic Park, uh, and let alone Curtin. So I know I've had schools that have cancelled their trips no longer fundraise for it, it's too expensive. Yeah. Having said that, every school has the opportunity to go to the State Parliament. Can, the, the, the cost of coming to Canberra is not the problem here. Sure. The, the prob, there's a number of problems. One is the emphasis that's given in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Two is that teachers don't understand it and so they can't teach it. Yeah. And the third is that they have to spend, that understandably, they need to place much more important on issues of literacy and numeracy before you can get into teaching higher level conceptual subjects. Um, and is I don't think we've done a very good job of linking the curricula to real-world outcomes. Sure. And unless you really understand the nature of the civics curricula, that's hard to do. But if you're a school, at least if you're a school in Perth, it's much more difficult if you're a regional Western Australia, but if you're a school in Perth, 
you've got access to the state parliament. They run the same tour programs. The state MPs are constantly taking their schools through there. I don't mm-hmm. think, as much as I would love to see more WA schools come to Canberra and I'd love to yeah. see the subsidy increase so that more of those schools that are in low SES areas like my own mm-hmm. are able to send their kids and families over, to he- over here to see what happens in the national parliament. Mm-hmm. In terms of teaching civics, mm-hmm. um, in the metropolitan area there is accessibility. Yeah. Um, schools have to prioritise it. Do you find that you obviously would spend a lot of time visiting schools in your mm. electorate? Do you find that you're able to provide some of that education in the limited time that you have with schools? Yeah, absolutely, I am. In the limited time that I'm available, to, in the limited time that I have when I'm at a school, yeah. with the limited number of schools that actually bother to ask. Yeah. And this is why I go back to my point teachers and schools aren't prioritising this issue. Yeah. Quite frankly, everyone who is in high school is eligible to enroll to vote. Mm-hmm. And not every, I can think of one school in my, of the 62 or the 20 high schools in my electorate that do it. Yeah. Which tells you the priority they're giving to it. Sure. And it's obviously young people are passionate about a lot of these issues. Um, We've seen with the climate protests and things like that recently. And the, I like to call it slacktivism, the activism on social media, Mm. the the keyboard warriors that fight for causes. What are some... See, I don't think they're actually fighting for... Me. I don't think many of those people are fighting for a cause. No? Well, I haven't seen them join political parties to change the, or change the law. Yeah. So, would that be your advice for yes. young people? Um, if you actually want to see change, yeah. join a political party and encourage people to vote for that political party to get that change to happen. Yeah. And we had an election recently. Mm. Um, Where we had more young people than ever yeah. enrolled to vote. Didn't make a difference. Yeah. Because they weren't engaged in that. Yeah. Did you have many young volunteers? Many young volunteers. So I know there's lots of young people out there that are engaged, that are passionate about seeing, uh, in my case, a change in government and seeing good policy brought forward and that want to be involved in not just campaigning but involved in those discussions around policy development and why do we make certain policy decisions and and so forth. And and that's fantastic. And that's something I want to cultivate even more. And as I think you're getting to is some people get very fixated on just one issue and they get fixated on in a pretty puritanical sense Mm. which is good that they've got that passion but then you've got to say well what am I going to do with it I mean if you just want to have if your sole purpose is to be able to feel good about advocating for something then by all means join the Greens but nothing will ever happen because of that because Mm. they're not a party of government now I'm not trying to encourage people to join the Liberal Party obviously Mm. I'm a Labour Party member (laughs) but people need to recognize that politics society community exists in the gray Mm -hmm. it is a very seldom things that are black and white and so decisions have to be made compromises need to be reached um practicalities need to be taken into account you can't always get exactly what you want but Mm -hmm. if you are not involved in the discussion and the process and convincing others to come along with you in that journey then you're not going to get anything what was the deciding factor for you to firstly join the Labour Party and then decide to run for Parliament? I wouldn't say there was one deciding factor, yeah. but I think you know I grew up in a family that were a family of joiners and engagers mm-hmm. and uh, ones that you know where parents joined the PNF and the school board and I was involved in sporting clubs and community organisations and I ended up being the chair of our local domestic violence refuge and. Mm-hmm. Uh, got involved with the law society and law reform and uh, you know, I was a youth group leader and stuff like that with my church and I think that when you're involved in community you 
uh, get to, I think, well, I get a lot of enjoyment out of being able to provide assistance and good, uh, and that's great, but for me, I'm someone who's very engaged in systems and seeing things that are not working and going, well, how can we make that better? And, you know, as a local MP every day, you or your office get to help an individual uh, that might have a problem with X or Y or Z. But what really engages me in federal politics is going, well, there are things in the system that are broken. So you think about like robo-debt, classic example, like that is just, it was such a stupid, stupid idea. But that is a systematic attack on people that are not in a position to defend themselves from the government, where they're being told to repay money that they just clearly don't owe. Mm -hmm. And that's an example where you go, well, I can kill that. If I can get that killed, that fixes that part of the problem in the system. Now, there's other errors in the system, and you've got to work up the policy processes. Climate change, like, that's not just a simple black and white solution, right? So you've got to be part of engaged in that, and that's something that really interests me in terms of the systems and going, all right, if I want to... just have this genuine need, desire to just help people. But it always frustrates me if I'm constantly having to help multiple individuals with the same problem when I could be involved in fixing the system itself. And that's yes. what drove me into federal politics. Yeah. Um, and you were involved in the Labour Party from a young age? I was. I joined the party when I was 16 um, because it was something that I was... Politics as a, I suppose, a, as a vocation is something I've been interested in for a very long time. Um, and it goes back, you know, why was I involved as a youth group leader when I was 16 as well? Like, you know, I could just rock up at youth group or I could be involved in trying to uh, lead it, make it work better. You see problems, you think, okay, how can I contribute to this? Um, that's just, I suppose, always been something about me. It, there is a fundamental problem with that as well, is that you constantly see things that you want to fix or make better and you've got to actually focus your time, even as a federal member of parliament. Yeah. But... Uh, the being involved in the discussion and the debate and understanding why policy decisions were being made or how do we get engaged in those things uh, is what drove me into joining a political party and my background um, as you know a, a Catholic concerned with uh, seeing better social justice outcomes for um, our entire community yeah. drove me to joining the Labor Party as a party best positioned and committed to delivering on those outcomes. Mm-hmm. And 16's incredibly young. What is actually the youngest? <laughs> well, for something like joining a political party is, you know, you can't vote until you're 18. That's um, right. And so it's interesting that we're able to join political parties so young. What is actually the youngest, youngest age? Youngest age you can vote is 16. Yeah. Yep. And do you need parental consent? No. No? There you go. You so, don't need parental consent to pay tax at 16 either. Yeah. So yeah. that's information for viewer, for listeners. I keep saying viewers, but listeners. Yeah, and I think, and I look, and I'm someone who does support the idea of looking at at lowering the voting age in a compulsory sense, because when you think about, you know, if you're someone who is 16, you're coming towards the end of your schooling. Mm-hmm. Most people at that age are already working. They're yeah. already paying federal taxes. They're very likely to be, uh, or at least potentially be the beneficiary of some form of Centrelink benefit, youth allowance, or tax prep benefit. Sure. Uh, you're engaging with government. Yep. Why should you not be able to vote? And is there some critical difference in someone who is age 16 and someone who is age 18 in the way in which they're going to interpret and understand their position in the world? In my engagement where I run a uh, youth leaders forum in my electorate every year where we get uh, two year 12s from every high school to come and participate, um, you know, most of those kids are 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but what it tells me is that they are as engaged, if not more engaged, and actually have a greater understanding capacity than a lot of other people in the electorate. So I don't see why you necessarily disenfranchise them. Sure. Now it's a you know it's a long term discussion and debate, but I don't. The, the critical point being though is, yeah, why not join? Be able in a position to join a political party, participate in the discussion, engage yourself in the debate, get involved in the policy forums, at least start your understanding of where these things are going. Yeah, and. Part of you know, getting that understanding and learning about it is being able to identify misinformation. Absolutely. Um, fake news. Yeah. <laughs> How can people combat that, especially in politics? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of different things here. And, you know, going back to that point about teaching civics in mm-hmm. schools, even before you get to that, you've got to be able to teach critical understanding and research. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's one skill that actually we need our schools to be pumping out in people, it's it's that. Mm-hmm. But you can't rely on that solely. And I think we do need to have, uh, I suppose, greater awareness campaigns around these things, uh, around people understanding or having a, a healthy scepticism for uh, single sources of information mm-hmm. and understanding how you know, Facebook algorithms work and things yes. like that. I don't even understand the detail, but understand that you are going to be constantly thrown up with things that conform with other things you've already liked. Yeah, that's why I like every political party and every leader of every political party across the spectrum. Mm. So I'm engaged with the views of people. Yeah, that... so you're seeing both sides or three sides, four sides of yeah. a debate. Yeah, yeah. especially because I'm aware that I live in Canberra, which can be a little bit of a progressive bubble because mm. <laughs> we are quite a progressive little city um so yeah i try and get outside of that as much as i can <laughs> yeah and i think that's one of the uh constant struggles of when you're spending 20 weeks of the year here not so much the uh the nature of the demography of mm-hmm. canberra which is pretty unique but that you're in a building and in an engagement and an environment where you constantly watching the news, watching what politicians are doing, seeing how, you know, experienced uh, political analysts are analysing. And, but, you, and, you know, my thing that I'm very conscious of is constantly needing to make sure you're drawing yourself back and going, yeah, but how does that resonate in Armidale? How does that resonate in Canning Vale or Gosnells? Not yeah. just what does someone for the Australian or Sky News or the ABC think about yeah. that? And there's another division, so I'm yeah. off. So division bells have been ringing left, right and centre here. All day. Um, and we thank you for being patient and coming back to us <laughs> after course. each division. Um, I'd love if we could have a 30-second message for the hopefulness of the future in politics in Australia. I think there's a lot of great positive nature, you know, things to come in Australian politics. The key thing, though, is we need to get more people actively engaged in political parties, in the political process, thinking deeply about what Australia needs, where it needs to go, and carrying that out through the ballot box and engaging with their communities about where they want to see Australia go as well. Yeah, well, that's fantastic advice, and I hope the young people have listening have taken on all of your points of advice about joining a political party and becoming active in the community. Mr. Matt Keogh, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to be with you. No, oh, fantastic. Hope to see you soon. Indeed. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Politics Done Differently. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to hear more, please go back through our library for more insightful interviews. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at PD Differently. If you want to get involved in the conversation, please hashtag PD Differently.
We look forward to seeing you next episode.